Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week's message was given during the 30th anniversary celebration by speaker Pastor Steve Benninger entitled, A Gospel-Driven Church on a LoveWorks Mission. You can find the sermon outline for this message at www.enewlife.com. You know, it was on June the 1st of 1985 that a band of young church planters rolled into town, uh, believing that God had called us to start a brand new church together here in Columbus, Ohio. The open house yesterday, a lady said, 30 years ago, how old were you? I said, well, four. <laughs> My wife was two, yeah. child bride. We had uh, packed all of our earthly belongings into a couple of moving trucks the night before, and at 6 a.m. that morning, we had said goodbye to all that was home to us, the mountains of central Virginia, the school where we had gotten our training, the church that we had worshipped in, our jobs, our apartments, many of our friends, and the ten of us hit the road, aiming to meet up here with two others who were already up here in Gehanna. And I was thinking this week about all the different cars that were in our little caravan that day. There was a Ford Pinto, two Plymouth Horizons, a Mazda RX-3, and a K car. Remember those? They didn't even make any of those cars anymore. That's how long ago it was. But we rolled in around 5 p.m., if I remember right. We got everybody's stuff unloaded in all the, their various apartments around town. And then we met up at Baskin Robbins 31 Flavors in the Hunter's Ridge Mall at the time. We were utterly exhausted very excited, but with some butterflies inside. I remember sitting on the curb there licking my mint chocolate chip cone <laughs> and thinking, what in the world did we just do? <laughs> it sounded like a good idea at the time, but it doesn't feel very smart right now. You see, we really didn't know anybody here. We, we had met Jerry and Kathy O'Hara on an earlier kind of a scouting trip up here. Sure, we'd trained for ministry at school, but we really had very little actual ministry experience and no experience at all in church planting. Plus, we were all really young, not four, but we were in our mid-twenties. And sitting there, looking around at the others on our team, I remember thinking, well, here we go, guys. <laughs> Let the adventure begin. God does not come through for us here. We're, we're through. We're done for. And I thought, you know what? There is not anything else I'd rather do, really. Starting a church together with people I love, being part of something bigger than ourselves, stepping out on faith and doing it as a team. That's what Shirley and I had signed up for. That's what Brian and Terry had signed up for. And I knew in my heart that God was in it. You know what? I hope you don't live your whole life without getting to experience what we experienced, that sense of being called by God to do something, something important, the thrill of teaming up with other like-minded kindred spirits and launching out together in faith to do it, being part of something that would change people's lives and have an eternal impact. I believe there's something in each and every one of us that longs for that, that was created for that, and that craves that. 
Well, we spent that first month of June looking for jobs and praying. We met at somebody's apartment every night that month. We prayed for a couple of hours. You know, there's a kind of praying you do when you've put everything on the line. It's not just your standard garden variety type praying. It was more like, Jesus, we've got to have you. Show up, please. Manifest your presence. Help us meet people who need you. Help us meet people who need a church family. We, we've got to have you, Jesus. We've got to have you. And I was thinking it was during one of those early prayer gatherings that the infamous Steve Benninger diaper-changing fiasco took place. It was an incident that would go down in the annals of our team's history and make me the butt of many jokes for years to come, no pun intended. <laughs> one of our team families had a little child, a little baby, and so whenever we did get together and pray, one of us would be chosen to watch the little child while the others were praying. And that night, I happened to draw the short straw, and wouldn't you know it, he happened to choose that night to have a blowout of epic proportions. <laughs> I had no training, there was no instruction manual laying around, we didn't have our own kids yet. I didn't know how these things worked, so I did my best, I mean, I did. But a little later, when the ladies came upstairs and they saw my handiwork in changing little Ryan's diaper. They were pointing and giggling and rolling their eyes at me. I guess I'd put it on backwards or sideways or upside down or, or something. In any event, everybody made fun of me and I was never able to live that down. The whole episode has left emotional scars on me and I still need therapy to help me recover fully from that. Well, that incident notwithstanding, God was very, very gracious and merciful to us. A new church was actually born that July of 1985, right up the road at Gahanna Middle School West, a couple hundred yards from here. We started out in the band room. We'd knocked on doors for a month, told people a new church was starting, and lo and behold, 66 local people from the area showed up at our very first worship service. And more important than that, God showed up. God showed up, and that's a good day right there when the Lord comes. If you've ever thrown yourself into starting something new, then you know the, the exhilaration that we felt that day, seeing our, our prayers and our dreams begin to come to pass. Plus, I think it felt like a God thing. It felt to us like this is, this is destined to have an impact. This is destined to make a difference in people's lives. But the Lord saw fit to bless our little startup church, and on the fourth Sunday in October of that year, New Life was officially chartered as a legitimate, bona fide church. Dr. Elmer Towns from Liberty University came up, and he led the service that day, and he guided us through a ceremony where those in the congregation who felt so led put their names on a charter and uh, committed themselves, pledged themselves to be faithful to Christ and to give our best efforts to fulfilling his great commission. It was a milestone day in the life of this church. In the lobby today, you can check out some of the pictures from those early days. I hope that you will on the display boards out there and the, the binders. Just as Pastor Brian did today, Pastor Brian was leading worship back then in those early days. We sang a lot of Fanny Crosby and Gaither songs. We preached from the King James Version of the Bible Guys always wore suits and ties like I did today in, in uh, commemoration of that day. We had more hair. 
larger rimmed glasses. And so some things have changed through the years, but um, what hasn't changed is New Life's commitment to stand on the Word of God, the Bible, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to call people to repent, put their faith fully in the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of all of their sins and salvation, and to challenge and help believers grow in discipleship. From the very beginning, we wanted to be a healthy, growing, multiplying church that evangelized lost people and helped Christians, helped believers live every day as devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That hasn't changed. The language we've used to talk about those things and, and how we've gone about doing them has changed some during the different eras of our church, but the heartbeat has remained constant. Win the lost Jesus Christ and then guide them to grow as committed disciples, followers of His. Lately, I've begun to use a certain phrase to describe our church, and I, and I hope it catches on. To me, it captures the essence of the work that God has been doing in us recently while retaining that heartbeat that we had three decades ago. And so, I like to say that New Life is a gospel-driven church on a love-works mission. A gospel-driven church on a love-works mission. If you've been around here for a while, those are terms you're familiar with, but if you're new, I'd like to take a few moments to kind of unpack those for you. And there is a study guide in your worship folder that you can pull out if you'd like. New Life is seeking to become a gospel-driven church. That's a church that's seeking to keep Jesus Christ and His gospel message front and center in the life of the church. Someone might ask why I feel it's so important to be so specific on what's driving us here, and it's because I've been in churches for 50 years, and I've seen that many different things can drive a church. If you've been in church for any period of time, you've seen that as well. A variety of things can compete and vie for center stage, for the spotlight in the church, especially as the church grows larger. Let me give you some examples. Some churches I've been in, I felt, were driven by tradition. Tradition-driven churches. You ever been in a church like that? In those churches, if, um, if any change is, is, is introduced, it's viewed with suspicion. Like change is a dirty word, a bad word in, in a tradition-driven church. The reason things are done the way that they are in that church is because that's how they've always been done. And if someone comes along who has the gall to try to introduce some change, to try to improve things or make it more effective, the stakeholders dust off that old church motto, well, we've never done it that way before. And it dies in committee. The mindset is we dare not tamper with church tradition lest the founding fathers roll over in their graves. And that would be a horrible thing, wouldn't it? Some churches are driven by tradition. Some are driven by need, by whatever need is currently being championed. And we all know there are lots of different needs in our community, and it's a good thing to meet needs, but maybe a good question to ask would be, is there a primary need that the church is called to meet by its founder? Some churches are driven by a personality, call them personality-driven church. You know, there's a dynamic, charismatic, gifted leader, and he stands up and says, well, here's what I'm passionate about, and everybody goes, well, then that's what we'll do. You know, we'll just kind of fall in line with that just because of the sheer force of his will or the magnetism of, of his personality. There's a lot of personality-driven churches. 
Some churches are, are driven by a particular program that drives their agenda. It's something that's worked for them, and, and all the resources in that church seem to flow towards that program, sustaining it, making sure it continues to be the flagship ministry that the church is known for. No one would ever think of discontinuing it, even if it doesn't work anymore, even if it lost its effectiveness you know, decades ago. The church's whole identity has gotten wrapped up in that one program. Some churches are driven by their buildings, by their facilities. If they have big, beautiful facilities or they meet in a very historic kind of building, it's easy for a congregation to let itself become driven by the need to preserve the building or showcase the building for the community, make sure it's always glistening and ready for the next photo opportunity. It can become all about the building. Instead of the facilities being seen as a tool used for a higher purpose, it becomes the purpose. Maybe you've been in a church like that. We could name any other things that compete for the spotlight in the life of a church. And, and these things are not bad, necessarily. Some of them are, are good. But here at New Life, what we've come to believe is that none of those things should be allowed to displace Jesus Christ and His gospel message from center stage in the life of the church. Nothing else. Nothing. The people in a church like this, a gospel-driven church, are saying... We want the message of Jesus to be at the center of all of our teachings, our ministries, and our decisions. And we want to be led by leaders whose first love is Jesus Christ and His gospel. And we're laser-focused on keeping the person and work of Christ as our primary passion and our most cherished treasure. We're going to strive to let the gospel be the dominant shaper of the culture of this church, the driving force behind all of our ministries, other things are fine, they're fine in their place, but we view them as serving a higher purpose. For us, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's my job description, by the way, in this church. So in my mind, the last few years here have been about fleshing that out, asking Jesus to show us, what does this mean? How does this gospel-centeredness show up in our church? for children's ministry, for student ministries, for outreach and missions, for how we worship together, for preaching and teaching, for parenting, for how God's people handle their money. What does gospel-driven marriage look like, and how is it different from our culture's view that's put forth? How should keeping Jesus central impact how we relate to each other in small groups? All of those things. There are two phrases penned by the Apostle Paul that I just haven't been able to shake for six years. Not that I'm trying. They've gripped my heart. Here they are, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let that sink in. Paul said, I got one message. In 1 Corinthians 15, we saw this earlier, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Let me ask you, how many things can be of first importance? Just one, right? Paul declared that he was intent on making the gospel message the most important feature of his ministry central to the life of all the churches that he started. It's not that he didn't talk about other things. He did. 
But it's then when he talked about marriage or when he talked about parenting or money or sex or relationships or whatever, he looked for the gospel connection. He looked for understanding what had happened on that cross, on that hill, how that impacts how we think about those things and how we live them out. The underlying assumption is that it does, and that's an assumption that I share. Here are three things about ministering the gospel of Jesus that I've become convinced of in recent years. First, we should never assume the gospel. We should never assume it. Never just take for granted, oh yeah, everybody, they know that already. You know, one man said this, what is believed in one generation is often assumed by the next, and in the following generation, it is denied altogether. We cannot assume the gospel. We can't. A sacred trust has been handed down to us that we dare not miss passing on by just assuming the gospel. We must speak it and preach the gospel to ourselves often. Amen? Man, I believe that. Second, I've come to believe that both non-Christians and Christians need to hear the good news a lot. I need to hear it. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised to, to believe that the gospel was the message that lost people needed to hear, that they needed to believe to be saved, and that is true. But I kind of got the idea that then, once you've believed it, you kind of leave it behind and you move on to the deeper things of God. I don't believe that anymore. I believe the deeper things are found in the gospel, that you grow deeper into it. The gospel's not just the ABCs of Christianity, Tim Keller says. It's the A to Z of Christianity. It's the whole thing. Those deeper things do exist, but they are not found outside the good news. They're found within it. I believe the gospel's like an ocean with a shallow end that the little children can splash around in and begin to understand the goodness of God towards them and the vast depths that seasoned divers could swim around in for decades and still not touch the unfathomable mysteries of the good news. I think we're going to be learning about what happened on that hill and that empty tomb and all of its implications throughout all of eternity. I really do. I could go on, but my point is that this is the work God has been doing among us of reestablishing Jesus' gospel as the centerpiece of our message, not only to the world, but to one another. To one another as well. And what is this good news? Don't assume it, right? It is the good news that Jesus, the royal son, left heaven. Think about that. <laughs> left heaven to come down to this earth, was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem's manger. And then he lived for 33 years, that perfect, law-abiding, beautiful life that none of us have lived but should have. And then died on an old rugged cross, shedding his blood, dying in our place, atoning for our many sins. How many of you have many sins? Serious? I mean, if someone was keeping track of my sins through the years, I'm certain it would fill up binders. I have many sins. Thank God, I thank God Jesus died for my sins so that I could be forgiven. And he was raised by his Father as proof that the payment was enough, it was sufficient. 
Jesus then ascended back into heaven to go prepare a place for his people to intercede for them. Then he sent his spirit to come and empower his church on the earth to go and proclaim that message and call all people to repent of their sins and believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for salvation, to save them from the judgment that is coming. And that we would keep showing and telling this gospel until Jesus comes back for us one day and creates a new heaven and a new earth for us to dwell together with him forever with the family of God, God's forever family. That is the good news. And just hearing it again just fills us again with hope and joy, doesn't it? And also with renewed strength to face our days with confidence and fresh resolve to stay on mission with Jesus during our remaining days on this earth. And we don't, we don't know how long we have. Someone tapped me on the shoulder this morning and said, we had a church member pass away this morning. What is your life, James wrote? It's a vapor that's here for a moment and then it's gone. We're not promised tomorrow. What are you living for? What are you living for? Well, we talk a lot about being on mission around here, and and we use a word, it's coined by one of our church members here, to describe the mission that New Life is on because of the gospel, and it's love works. Love works. So that's why I like to say that New Life is a gospel-driven church on a love works mission. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, that's a church that's allowing Christ's love in us to propel us outward to love our neighbors with his love. Amen? Love works. Again, several scriptures form the foundation for this concept. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you, sent ones, ambassadors, representatives, missionaries, sent by Jesus into the world. Matthew 22, 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbors. And 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. And so we've been using for the last few years this term love works to describe all the loving things that God's people do to love their neighbors, all the deeds of mercy, all the acts of compassion, all the effort and energy expended to meet their needs, their physical needs, emotional needs, relational needs, spiritual needs, vocational needs, in Jesus' name. But you know what we must never lose sight of in all of that is the fact that that those efforts are really the fruit of the gospel, like Linda said in the video, dropping down into our hearts. It's fruit. We love, we love because he first loved us. You see, atheists can do benevolent things. Mormons can bless their community. Agnostics can serve at a soup kitchen. Muslims can be kind to their neighbors. The key question is, what makes our acts of compassion distinctively Christian? Different than the others. And what is it? It's our motivation. It's our incentive. We love because He first loved us. We are the ones who have received the sacrificial love of Jesus. 
And so for us, love works are those loving deeds that we do because our hearts have been fueled by Christ's love for us. You see, when you get the gospel, there's a, there's a passion that starts percolating inside. There's a kind of internal combustion fueled by Christ's love for us that begs for an outlet, begs for a release. We give away our time, our money, our energy to bless other people. We're not trying to earn brownie points with God. We're not trying to gain His favor. We're not trying to get into His good graces. We're not trying to gain His acceptance. We have His acceptance in Christ. We're not trying to obligate Him to bless us in return. It's not some transactional gospel thing. Here, I'll do this if you'll do that for me. No, our incentive, our fuel is God's unquenchable love for us shown at the cross. That's our fuel. We cannot help but serve other people because of Christ's love compelling us. When I think back over the history of this church, so many new lifers through the years and up to the present, do this. I love that about you. You do love works, gospel-fueled love works every day, picking up the slack for a coworker who's struggling and having a hard time. Praying with a a grieving friend. Opening up your home to bless other people. Giving money away. This happens all the time. Giving money away to bless somebody else. Sponsoring a child in Uganda. Caring for a hurting person. Loving your neighbors in a hundred other ways. Because of Christ. I love being in a church like this. Some of the ways are really big and noticeable. Others are behind the scenes and very small. Maybe no one will ever know, but Jesus knows. As long as it's the fruit of the gospel softening your heart, it is love works. And by serving other people in Christ-like ways, you know what? You're being the hands and feet of Jesus. The blessed people who desperately need to know him. And so at this 30-year mark in our church's history, I'm more convinced than ever that God has called New Life to be a gospel-driven church on a love-works mission in our city, in our community, in our world. Let me ask you, is that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Is it? Is that the kind of church that you could join up with, serve faithfully in, give cheerfully to, pray for, regularly worship in? Invite others? Hope so. If you're new around here and just kind of checking things out here at New Life, um, I put on the back side of your outline there what I call our church's gospel-centered DNA. Now, DNA, you know what that is, right? We've all got it. It makes us who we are. And churches have DNA. And we try to put it in compact form here. And, and I'd like, for those of you who are new, just to take two minutes and walk through this together. I'd like you to read these phrases out loud with me, okay? Our mission. Let's read this together. What is our mission here at New Life? To lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. Our vision. More and more people and communities transformed by the gospel Making Steve famous. No, 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 no. You know what? I say this a lot. We're not out here to make a celebrity or a superstar out of any human being. That's a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. Only Christ. Only Christ. We want to spread his fame. Amen? 
If no one ever knows about us or who we are, but they know Jesus better, and they revere him more and have more awe of him, I'm good with that. That's why we're here. Our motto, I like how this comes across, Jesus front and center all the time. Our core values, you saw them um, expressed in the videos earlier. Gospel at the center, gospel shaping our identity, gospel forming how we relate to one another in our community here, and then the gospel propelling us out on mission together to love our brothers and to love our neighbors in Jesus' name. Our strategy around here is very simple. Reach, train, send. Reach people with the gospel, train people deeper in the gospel, and then send them out for the gospel. Might be sent into their campus or their office, their workplace, sent on a missions trip, sent across the street. There's all kinds of sends, but we're all sent ones, and the gospel in us begs for an outlet. Reach, train, send. And so, on this day, people of new life, by the grace of God, let's covenant together on this significant milestone in the history of this church to always, always keep Jesus Christ front and center in the life of this church. And let's commit ourselves to let his love propel us outward, outside these walls, outside of ourselves, to speak his good news to anyone who will listen and to love and serve others in his name, in that way we will both declare and demonstrate the truth of the gospel that we say we believe in the hope that hundreds and thousands of lives will be touched and changed and transformed by the power of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That was the heartbeat of that little band of church planters 30 years ago. And it's not diminished to this day. In fact, I would say it's intensified intensified. So I challenge you to be all in for the gospel and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Choir is going to make their way back up and we're going to get to worship some more, but I want to talk to those of you in the room for a moment who don't yet know Jesus as your Savior. You're not saved. You're not born again. You've never come to that point in your life where you Turn from your selfish, sinful lifestyle and embrace Jesus Christ with all of your heart where you believe that his sacrifice was enough for your sins. I want to talk to those of you in the room. That's where you're at. And may I challenge you today to become a Christian? To put your full faith in Christ and what he has done for you. No one else has done for you what Jesus did for you. Put your faith in Christ if you would like to do that today, in just a moment, we'll have some prayer partners standing up on either side of me, and you can just come and tell them that. Hey, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. I want to become a Christian. I want to get in on this good news that we've been talking about, and they will guide you in a prayer to offer your whole life to Jesus. I hope you'll do that. Lord, we give you our worship now. We love you. Thank you for the course that you have set us on as a church. Lord, keep us from veering to the right or to the left but to pursue with all of our hearts and minds the glory of Christ and the proclamation of the good news. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's Word and seek to know Him better through the Gospel. Our prayer is that the Gospel has taken a deeper hold of you 
as we have studied the Word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.